Coming to you live from the city of King's Landing, it's the Hand Plus Podcast, where each week we kind of break down the last week in streaming, you know, from Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, all your other favorite streaming services. So if you got a streaming service you or a streaming show or a movie you want us to talk about and uh, we haven't brought it up, Hit us up at Movie Change Up and talk to the hand. We're part of the Movie Change Up podcast network, you know, with various different podcasts. And uh, we want to talk to you and uh, engage with fans, engage with the listeners, and, uh, you know, talk about what you want us to talk about and hopefully also introduce you to some shows and movies you maybe wouldn't have checked out, you know, without us or maybe steer you away from some movies or shows that maybe you were looking forward to. But once we're like, hey, this show's trash, hey, this movie's trash, you're like, all right. No need to watch it. I can watch something I'd actually like. So, Tristan, how do you feel about this week in streaming? Did you enjoy your week? Yeah, this week was interesting because we had two really big releases from two of the platforms here. So I definitely thought there were two heavy hitters that both I thought are going to make interesting conversation pieces. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on both of them because I know they both inspired some pretty strong uh, internet reactions between She-Hulk on Disney Plus and house of the dragon on hbo max but yeah those are the big swings and there's a couple here and there that are little sprinkles that are fun you know we're going to talk about stuff that i watched on hulu stuff that we watched here on prime and know you have some a movie to talk about on prime that i'm looking forward to talking about but yeah i i'm excited for those two big big hits more than anything else joe i'll tell you that it was a week of a week of two big swings and everything else just kind of like flooded around in the background of it you know well all right let's cut right to it uh you know we're the hand if you don't know what that's why we're called the hand it's kind of an acronym of the kind of the four biggest streaming services hulu amazon prime netflix and disney plus you know but we'll also cover some peacock maybe some shutter especially closer to halloween time hbo max that h in hand kind of is a double for hulu and hbo max but we're gonna kick off with hulu right now and uh Tristan, what was your kind of key point on Hulu? What was something you watched on Hulu that you want people to know about? Yeah, Hulu is one of those that kind of uh, fled to the background for me a little bit. But uh, one that stood out for me this week was Not Okay. Uh, it's It kind of trended a bit on like, YouTube and Letterboxd as kind of this like supposedly crazy problematic uh, movie that Hulu put out. And what really caught me onto it was I heard it called Dear Evan Hansen, but for girls. And I thought, <laughs> what does that mean? So I, I had to watch that. I checked it out. And the premise is essentially this. Uh, this young teenage girl who's in high school, I believe, and she is faked her way into... Uh, she's not actually studying abroad, but she's faking studying abroad. She's posting on social media saying, oh, look, here I am with Eiffel Tower, this and that, to get herself to look cooler and more popular than she actually is on social media. And that's kind of the, the premise of this at the beginning. But... Then it all ups the ante a bit when there's a terror attack and in the city supposedly supposed to be in. And now, of course, everyone's checking in on her saying, oh, are you OK? What's going on? Are you all right? And rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to come clean or I'm going to just say, oh, I came home. Don't worry about it. I made it back in time. I'm going to double down on this lie and I'm going to tell everybody that I know that not only am I there still, but I was there for the attack. I'm a witness to the attack. I saw it happen. And it becomes this big snowballing lie that she's telling and getting more and more kind of famous and popular because of it. And more and more people are kind of like wanting to hear her take and hear her story. 
and it's all based on this core lie. So you can hear the Dear Evan Hansen comparisons there a lot, which had a very similar kind of premise and arc. But I think this one plays out a bit better. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen played out with uh, not much self-awareness, I would say, uh, where it seemed like maybe they were making excuses for the character. But this one, very much not. They're very much saying, look, sure, she has like some motivations and reasons and things, but she's not doing the right thing here. And they're never trying to make you feel like she is. So I think that makes this a much more fun watch, much more of a comedic watch where there's a lot of dark humor, a lot of fun awkwardness. And uh, you can really tell that the movie is on the, the correct side, I guess you can say, where they're not they're not relating to this character. They're not telling you this character is good, but you're seeing the fun of kind of this lie spiraling in a way that's much more self-aware than Dear Evan Hansen was. So if you have the if you enjoyed the premise, I guess, of Dear Evan Hansen, or you like laughing at it, or you thought it was hilarious to see uh, this guy struggling with his high school lie and his uh, social outcasts and stuff, and all, all that stuff is kind of in here in its own way, but like I said, in a much more self-aware and consumable way than Dear Evan Hansen was. So interesting comparison, but I think that this was a, a pretty watchable, entertaining Hulu original. And it, it, it's Hulu original, I do believe. So if you want to check off some 2022 streaming movies on your list, add it to your letterbox for 2022. You got one here for you. All right. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. Something I was definitely curious to watch. Uh, is there like a type of person you would recommend this for? Like, is this someone that you think anyone could watch or anyone would enjoy? Or is there like kind of a specific demographic you think would be most intrigued by it? Yeah, I don't think anybody could watch this. I think you have to be able to have that specific mind of watching an unlikable character as your lead, someone that you can't necessarily root for or mm -hmm. like. And I know a lot of people that I know would see a character like that and within 20 minutes be like, I'm turning this off. I can't stand this character. But if you can click with that kind of humor and that kind of cringe comedy, I think you'll enjoy this a lot. Okay, yeah. Uh, definitely something I'm going to check out. Uh, what was some other key points on Hulu that you watched this week? I got started on The Bear. I've been seeing a lot of talk about that online. Uh, it's a comedy show. I believe it's on FX and Hulu. Kind of FX and Hulu have this partnership right now. So it's something that FX. It's also on Hulu. So... This is a comedy drama uh, set in a kitchen, a kitchen at like a kind of a, a restaurant, I guess, you'd, okay. like a, a kitchen restaurant. And it's about all this, the, the chefs and the kind of staff of this kitchen trying to hold it together. It's set in Chicago. So I clicked on it to watch it for Chicago. But yeah, it's getting a lot of acclaim and it really captures kind of that like working class life of like the constantly on your toes, constantly like butt on fire tension of working in kind of the service industry so if you've worked in the service industry or anything that's like customer facing or something that would have you on your tail like that i think this could give you a lot of relatable moments there's a lot of moments that are like oh you know i've experienced that i haven't worked in a kitchen necessarily but i have worked in service so there's moments where i say oh i've experienced that or i know coworkers who are like that but there's also this tension of like can they hold this business together or can they not and they bring in this all-star chef who supposedly is going to save the business but he's kind of eccentric and weird and he how he, he kind of mixes with the personalities of the store in really interesting ways and that's kind of the the kickoff of the plot here is they have this struggling business and all these uh clashing personalities and then you throw this really intense chef in the mix to it and you see how does that change this restaurant so i really recommend it a lot if you've worked in the industry but if you haven't it's still a pretty solid comedy that you can enjoy but if you've worked in if you've worked in the industry, I think it's definitely going to be one you get a lot out of. All right. Is there kind of any show or anything that you would say it's similar to? Uh, I can't compare much to it. It has it has a similar vibe of like 
uh, Fleabag away in a way where like the characters are a little bit kind of grimy in a way and like aware of the fact that they exist kind of on the outskirts a bit. And okay. I watched Clerks recently, so it reminded me a bit of Clerks, like a more of modern day take on Clerks, where it's like these uh, people who are kind of just trying to survive on the outskirts of society. I think it's a pretty similar comparison to that. So if you like, if you like that, I think you'll enjoy it. And almost like Uncut Gems, and a sim- not nearly as tense, but in a similar way where it's like it doesn't feel like it's going to stop <laughs> at some points. So if if you like the the nonstop urgency of Uncut Gems, I feel like you can translate that to a kitchen pretty well if you think about it. You know, the running around, the constant uh, figuring out the orders and the fires you got to put out, literally and figuratively, fires you got to put out. All right. Um, anything else on uh, Hulu you watched this week that you want to tell everyone about? Uh, that's all that I checked out this week. I have a couple of things in my watch list. I, I want to get to hatching. I know they added that recently. I'm trying to get slowly started on my horror. Probably in September, I'm going to get my horror month, my horror uh, era, I guess, going because it's going to be September and October, probably into November too. But yeah, that's one that I'm be, I'm going to be watching once we get over to next month, probably. All right, and uh, so upcoming uh, on Hulu this week, we have uh, Welcome to Wrexham. The season one premiere, like Tristan said, it's a FX kind of Hulu collaboration where it's an FX show, but it's going to pretty much be right to Hulu. And that's a docu-series about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, who went in together and bought some low-level English soccer team and them kind of making that team relevant. So, like, who knows how much thought went into them actually buying the team. They're kind of presenting it as like it was like they bought it on a whim. But I feel like it's probably pretty hard and difficult and takes months to actually acquire a team like that so it'd be curious to see how the show does i'm interested in watching it i don't know if tristan you've seen anything about it but i have not but hearing that premise makes me really want to check it out you know i think the idea of having the celebrities getting in there involved makes it more interesting and exciting it'll be curious to see how that all pans out so yeah i'm definitely gonna check out at least the premiere yeah all right and i think that takes us to amazon prime and uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up was a movie I watched. It actually dropped a few weeks ago. I think it, actually, it dropped August 5th, but I just finally got around to watching it. And that's the Ron Howard-directed movie, 13 Lives, about the uh, soccer team in Thailand who got stuck in the cave a few years ago. And it was all about that. It mainly focused on the uh, rest guys who went in and figured out a plan and rescued them and got them out. Um, but it was something like we heard about in the news but one of the things that I guess wasn't really covered well because I didn't know about it was how they got the boys out. And I went into it not knowing, and I feel like that makes the movie better, so I'm not going to completely spoil it for you. Now, there's documentaries and stuff out there now, and if you were hardcore following this along, you may know how they got them out. So, But uh, I think it was a really well-done movie. It was uh, definitely tense moments it was one of those it was similar to argo where you're like i know how this ends but there's still some edge of your seat moments uh it's not like amazing it's not i don't think going to be in anyone's top 10 of the year list but i think it was a solid movie i think if you're wanting a movie for family night or you know you're hanging with your parents and they're like oh we should put a movie to watch it's something that i think everyone will at least enjoy especially because everyone knows the base level of the story without having to worry about anything offensive to anyone or anything that's, like, going to challenge anyone, I guess. It's not really a movie that's going to challenge you, but it's also... It's well-made, everything. Ron Howard, obviously, an accomplished director. 
Uh, one of the things there were there was like a moment where I felt like it was getting a little too white saviory, but I think one of the things it did better than a movie like Argo is it actually did a better job of showing the full scope of the mission, where you're obviously following the main three white guys played by Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and Joel Edgerton, but you're actually seeing like how the locals and how the Thailand Navy SEALs and how the government and all of these people came together to help these boys, even like the farmers and their sacrifice. And uh, yeah, I have a question a for you, Joe. Really well done movie. Uh, a lot of these movies that are based on like big historical moments like that, you get very invested in the events because you're like, oh, I want to see what happened or I want to see how it happened. Were you invested in the characters? Were you invested in like, oh, I want to see this guy accomplish what he's trying to do or I want to see this guy survive or this guy make it or was it more oh, I know what this thing is, so I want to see what happened in this thing. I think that you're a little bit invested in the characters just because there is a little bit character tension, but at times it almost felt like a well-shot documentary in a way where you're more just following the events that happened. And that was the thing. one of the things I thought this could have done better is you watch them basically pull out all 13 boys, and I felt like the movie would have been better if they really just showed the process of pulling like two or three of them out. And you could go deep and they you could like um kind of fictionalize certain things where okay this one thing happened actually when they pulled out this boy but we're gonna include it in this boy's journey out because it just makes for a better narrative but i just felt like it when they got to that it kind of felt a little rushed um one of the things i told my girlfriend is if you're unaware back in the day clint eastwood i think it was movies not miniseries but he made two movies Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima were basically Flags of Our Fathers is following this U.S. military unit and then Letters from Iwo Jima was following like the Japanese unit they were going against. One of the things I thought would have been interesting if they would have made two movies, one from basically Joel Edgerton, um, Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell's perspective, and then one from the boys in the cave's perspective. And I think that would have been... Uh, a more interesting approach for this than what we got, but it was still an enjoyable movie. And I say, if you saw the trailer and you're curious to check it out, definitely check it out. Any ask potential Oscar best picture, best director, any actors? Uh, probably not. I would say no one. Like, I think when you have established guys like Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton, they kind of have to put a career performance to get something out of like this, especially for a movie that releases like, basically at the very very beginning of the oscar season in august and i just don't think this is the movie that's going to get attention like that maybe cinematography if anything just because the fact that i mean water is super hard to film in and so much of this movie is like in caves in water and you can feel the closeness you can feel the claustrophobicness of it mm-hmm. and so i would say if there's any potential at all it would be that all right uh, interesting though i saw the list of things to watch for the year so i'll definitely put it on uh and check it out at some point but not not high on the priority list you're saying but definitely something no, to watch yeah. if uh, if this makes like your top 15 top 20 list i'll be shocked but it's not if honestly but if it also makes your bottom 10 bottom 15 list i'll be shocked as well for me i didn't watch anything new on prime uh i watched something pretty old i watched a 90s movie called fire in the sky uh it's based uh, on supposed a true story, it's about these Arizonan, uh, yeah, I think 20-somethings who go out on a trip, and one of them 
uh, gets abducted by an alien and thrown off into the trees. And then his friends kind of run off in fear. And the townspeople question him, saying, question the times, the, the friends saying, oh, what did you guys see? What happened? Where's your friend at? And they they tell him, oh, we swear he got, he got abducted by a UFO. We saw it. That's what happened. And of course, the town doesn't believe them. And eventually the kid turns up. So they're trying to kind of figure out, did this really happen? What happened to this kid? Because he's clearly, he's clearly traumatized and experienced something terrible. And they're digging into the, the kid's past and you're slowly getting these flashbacks of what happened to him and building up to eventually a reveal of what really did happen. And I picked it because it was an inspiration from the outside looking in for Jordan Peele's Nope. I think the way it portrays the alien and the way it portrays like alien abduction is similar to way that the way that Nope does. And I really, really like Nope. So I went, went and checked this one out and I definitely saw this, the similarities. You can see Jordan Peele maybe uh, watch this one a couple of times uh, just to get some ideas for how he's going to portray certain moments in, in Nope. I don't want to spoil exactly how events of Nope or this play out, but I think the way that they play out in both of these stories is similar. So if you liked the way it looked in one, check out the other. Fire the Sky is not nearly as good is nope it's a, it's a pretty serviceable like uh tv movie of the week level kind of story where it's like oh this happened did not happen let's look at all the sides and then kind of like show what he says happened during this induction and that's that but it's definitely a pretty very serviceable very enjoyable movie with some really really good really horrifying moments of practical effects so if you want to see moments of of really terrifying visual effects stuck into this otherwise serviceable drama <laughs> uh check it out All right. and it's one of the most prolific ufo abduction stories so if you're a fan of uh ufo and abduction stories this is one of the one of the more talked about ones all right and uh if you don't have anything else to say about amazon prime i just want to say we got samaritan coming out this week that's the Stallone movie where he's basically playing a old retired superhero who's kind of drawn back into the game a little bit. I don't know much. I didn't really want to know much because the movie sounded interesting to me. So I'm like, I'm, I think I saw like a teaser trailer and that was it from that point on. I'm like, I'm just going to let the movie speak for itself when it comes out. Yeah, it sounds like a cool premise to me. I'll check that one out. We'll review that one on the show for sure. All right. And I think that brings us to Netflix. Um, Tristan, I don't know if you got too much here on Netflix, but one of the things I definitely wanted to highlight was uh, something I heard quite a few people talking about this weekend, and that was Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. I don't know if you know much of anything about the Manti Teo story, uh, but he was a Notre Dame linebacker around 2014-ish was his senior year. 2000, yeah. yeah, it was a right around then. 2013, 2014-ish was his senior year. And basically going in, he wasn't really known at this point outside of Notre Dame. And the news broke right before their first game that, hey, my uh, grandma and girlfriend both died. And everyone's like, oh, that's sad. And throughout this whole season, he's having this amazing year. He finishes in top five, or he finishes in like top two of the Heisman vote. And crazy year. And right before the final game, it breaks that his girlfriend didn't exist. She wasn't real. And everyone was like, what the hell? Did he make this whole thing up? He seemed like this nice kid, great kid. What's going on? And it turns out that he got catfished 
and uh, wow. and uh, basically people that said they had met her never really met her. People he trusted, like his cousin, and uh, they kind of you see his side of the story and everything that goes on. It's a uh, two parts, uh, one hour each, and uh, kind of covers his side of the story as well as the person who was catfishing him. Uh, their side of the story as well and there's a big big drop reveal right at the beginning for anyone who followed the story but i don't want to spoil it uh for anyone but i definitely think it's interesting it's probably more aimed at people who followed the story as it was happening back in the day but i definitely think it would still be interesting to anyone now just seeing like how uh especially considering how big the story was they don't go fully in depth like a lot of like espn 30 for 30s but untold is a pretty good uh, docu-series and I definitely think it's worth checking out if you care about the man Titeo story definitely uh, paints him in a better light especially because he's just been ruthlessly made fun of and mocked for basically the last 10 years and you yeah that's all him. I remember about the story is him yeah. getting made fun of on Twitter and the memes and everyone yeah. making fun of how he had this fake girlfriend and how he got catfished and yeah. it'd be I'd be I'd love to hear his side of it and what that was like and how much he really did know and didn't know and what the motivation was because I followed kind of the, the kickoff of this. Like I remember when that happened and everyone said, Oh my God, it's a fake girlfriend. It's not real. But I didn't follow the details of like how that fallout uh, went down or who we ended up being or what their motivation was. So I think I would enjoy this series to be able to fill in like how that all rounded out at the end. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, Tristan, was there anything big you watched on Netflix this week you want to highlight? Netflix, I missed this week. Uh, I was a bit focused on uh, the, the HBO side of things. Okay. Uh, so I didn't go for the Netflix this week. But uh, that I'll check out your docuseries. It's only two parts, I believe. Yeah, so. it's two parts, both about an hour each. So definitely easy easy watch through. I watched it, in the I think, Saturday morning. Uh, that's when my girlfriend and I watched it. Um, I started watching Tekken Bloodline. I know I mentioned that last week as a potential uh, really good anime that Netflix might be doing based off of the Tekken video game. Uh, so far, it's pretty good. It's not arcane level good, but it's a good adventure shoujin kind of show with really, really violent and cool fight scenes. Uh, so, And I'm sure if you have uh, more nostalgia for the Tekken characters, you might like it more than I do, but I don't even know... you know outside of like the main character what they look like i couldn't yeah. tell you anything about tekken so i don't necessarily attach to that but i'm still getting something out of it so i'd love to hear from any fans out there who are tekken fans if you're liking the show or if i should give it a pass and call it off at the four episodes or however long this this first drop is yeah i'll be honest uh i don't really know i know tekken is a video game outside of that i have no idea so i am of no use to anyone when it comes to this um but, yeah, we have a lot of video game stuff coming yeah. up, uh, so it'll be interesting to see, because I'm much more into the gaming side of things than, than you are, I think. Oh, definitely. I own, like, five video games. I think I, it's well, Madden from, like, 21. Yeah, so Madden 21. Uh, an Injustice game that's basically Street Fighter. Um, Grand Theft Auto Five, And, uh, oh, Battlefront Two. The new one, not the old one, and Jedi Fallen Order. Those are the five uh, video games I own. So wow. Um, however, uh, we don't have much Netflix coverage, but we do have some Netflix news dropped. We got some images from the new uh, 
season or the new series Wednesday about Wednesday Adams from the Adams family. It's you know basically a show directed and created by Tim Burton, and uh, we also got the trailer dropped, I believe yesterday. I can't remember, but so uh, if you're watching the video version, I just threw up the first image of Wednesday. Now where we see uh, Jenna Ortega as Wednesday, and we also see Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia Adams, and Luis Guzman as Gomez Adams, which I think is just A-plus casting across the board. I see a lot of people not fans of the Luis Guzman casting, but if you look at the original Adams Family cartoon, he looks like a perfect Gomez Adams. I think he brings the exact right energy for Gomez Adams. Um... The trailer, to me, seems super interesting, too. The trailer opens with Wednesday Adams at a normal, average, everyday high school, and she just drops, like, two bags of piranhas in the school's swimming pool while there's a water polo practice going on, and those piranhas do what piranhas do best, and then the her parents ultimately decide to transfer her to Evermore, which is the school that they went to and where they met and it's kind of like what if the adam like the adams family version of high school and uh i'm as someone who grew up with the barry sonnenfeld adams family movies and watched the adams family show quite a bit growing up i will say i am surprisingly all in on this show i didn't think i would ever be all in on a tim burton project post big fish but here we are so tristan kind of what are your thoughts on some of these images on this these images that they dropped today as well as the trailer and maybe the casting yeah, you mentioned Tim Burton, and I think that makes me very excited here. I think it's a really good fit for him. I think he's been in a bit of a rut, of course, recently. But I think this could be something that's right in his wheelhouse, kind of creatively and visually. It's very stylish, very exaggerated, and very gothic. So I think he could he could get a lot out of the aesthetic that this show provides. And I think the kind of cartoonish, whimsical nature of it uh, gives him a, a good fit, too. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with this, because I think that's a really good fit for him and I also love Jenna Ortega I think she's having an incredible uh year this year so far like she's she's been like the all-star uh of horror between this she was in Scream she was in X she was in the Foo Fighters horror comedy studio 666 she's been all over the horror genre she was in the Fallout that's not a horror movie but that's a really good drama so she's having kind of the the year of a generation right now. So I'm excited to see what she takes on her Wednesday. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I watched the TV show a lot as a kid, so I have some nostalgia there, but I actually haven't. I don't believe I've seen the 90s movies. I may have seen them on TV at some point as a kid. I'm sure oh. if I watched it now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. You know, but if I sat down and watched it, I don't I don't know if I've sat down and watched all of the Adam Family 90s movies, but I do have some nostalgia for the show. So maybe I'll check them out. I think there's a third one that they ended up making that was maybe like a TV movie or something like that that was supposed to be like in that same universe, but there's really only two you got to watch, and that's Adam's Family from 1990 and Adam's Family Values from 1992. Both are good. They definitely hold up. I've seen them quite a few times as an adult, so I definitely think you should check those out. Uh, I will check them out. The better my list forever. I've heard they're really good 4K printing, so I wanted to grab the 4K of Adam's family at some point. That's my excuse to treat myself to that 4K, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely going to be reviewing Wednesday when it comes out. Hopefully it lives up to my expectations. I didn't really know what to fully expect until this trailer dropped, and then when the trailer dropped, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I was hoping this would be. It's an interesting comparison uh, to Munsters, which is 
doing a similar revival of a classic sitcom, but in a much uh, less appealing way. And I think that's also going to go straight to Hulu or something. One of the platforms. Yeah, one of them. This looks miles and miles and miles and miles and miles better. Uh, we also had uh, some other news drop. We got the first image from Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which I think in the long run is a mistake as far as name branding i'd rather they just call it a ben uh if they just called it glass onion a benoit blanc mystery but that is daniel craig's character's name so basically uh written and directed by ryan johnson still set in the same universe as knives out and this is basically just supposed to be another case he goes on and uh i got the first image pulled up here it's giving me um a lot of Last Supper vibes. If you're watching uh, one of the video versions of here, if not, you can go up uh, somewhere and find this image. And based on this image alone, purely on the vibes, which is giving me Last Supper, I'm telling you right now, Catherine Hahn is the murderer because she is sitting <laughs> in Judas's spot. Um, but Tristan, what are your thoughts on this image? Can you, and you got this cast list pulled up. You want to just drop I have, a list cast for us and i'll throw this image back up i have some of the cast list the wikipedia gave me the top 10 here and this top 10 is very very stacked the first knives out uh, i have it sitting around here somewhere actually i just watched it a couple of days ago to refresh myself on the classic archaeology of knives out and it's a great one and the cast is a big reason for that the cast here we have daniel craig back of course uh now we have edward norton he hasn't been in a movie in a really really long time It'll be awesome to see him back. He plays Miles Braun, some kind of like tech billionaire. Uh, I'm curious if he's going to be the murder victim, similar to the first movie, or if he's going to be kind of there the whole time as kind of this foil to LeBlanc. And this picture, they're both kind of at the opposite ends of the table. So I'm curious if they're going to be like these two opposing kind of duality views. Maybe Ed Norton's going to have kind of detective kind of mind similar to Blanc's, and they're going to be kind of arguing back and forth who they think the killer is. And in, we also have Janelle Monet, a great actress, joining the cast. Catherine Hahn, Joe's suspect, fresh off of WandaVision, might be uh, playing the witch once again here. <laughs> uh, Leslie Odom Jr., great addition. Jessica Henwick, wow. Uh, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson, Dave Batista, always a great addition to a cast is Dave Batista. Uh, and then we have Ethan Hawke, one of my favorite actors right now great character actor just cu- coming off of moon Knight, you know another streaming show uh he's he's a great great addition to this cast i think ethan hawk is is one of my favorite actors i'm not sure he's gonna be a major character but it will be curious to see like who in this cast dies who in this cast is a primary focus who in this cast is this a slasher more of a thing where we're going to get more than one people more than one character killed off as we go along you know is is ethan hawk gonna be a big name at the beginning and then killed off in one scene it's kind of a surprise you know i could see i could see that happening i'm really excited to see it what are you thinking joe how are you feeling oh uh, yeah like you said this is a stacked cast my guess based on who's not in that picture is ethan hawk is the victim uh because he's not in the picture that was posted today and so it would make sense that he's the victim i'm also feeling that too because he's listed last on this on the list of cast here so he's you know and including ethan hawk kind of thing so i wonder yeah. if he's going to be the victim here uh, but yeah, I'm super excited for it. Obviously, not much is known outside of that. Hey, it's a sequel to Knives Out, and here's the cast. Uh, hopefully, it's just as good. Uh, I have high hopes for it. Definitely could be in contention for Oscars as far as script. And um, do, you, 
Do you think uh, Netflix shut out the money for the Beatles song on here, Glass Onion, the namesake of the of the movie? Might as well. They hemorrhage cash for all the weird, all weird reasons. So, who, you know, who, you know, they they probably will. I imagine. So weird, deep cut too for a Beatles song. I'm curious why Ryan Johnson settled on that. You know, I gotta revisit it and see if there's any like contest clues to who the mystery might be in here. And do you think he'll uh, quote Shrek about onions and layers <laughs> and how this mystery has layers like an onion, like a donut? Yeah. I hope Danny. I hope Daniel Craig does the whole entire Shrek monologue. Oh, that'd be amazing. I can't wait. I love Knives Out. This is one of my favorite, most most anticipated movies of the year. Uh, about I made a list like December of last year. This was in my top like four or five. So I'm really really excited for it. It was on my my uh, draft board of 2022 movies. So I hope that I get some award attention and. I'm going to go see it in theaters. Netflix said it's going to be in theaters for a couple of weeks before it comes to Netflix to hype it up, I guess. So I'm going to go check it out in theaters and get you guys an early review before it comes out to Netflix. All right. And uh, not much other big Netflix news dropped, but we do have some upcoming things this week. We have uh, the next series in Untold, and that's Untold, The Rise and Fall of And One, which was a pretty big uh, sporting brand, sporting clothes brand in like kind of the mid-2000s. They... Rose on the scene quick, very popular for a very short time, and then completely fell off. I didn't honestly notice they fell off until I saw the trailer for next week. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't seen an and one brand in like 10 years. Um, so I'm curious to see that documentary. And then also we have another documentary, Running with the Devil, The Wide World of John McAfee. I've seen one or two John McAfee documentaries already. If you don't know, he's the creator of... Uh, uh, McAfee antivirus that's probably installed on your computer right now the guy went bananas like as crazy as you think he could have gone he didn't he he went crazier than that so super intrigued by the documentary a lot of maids that used to work for him said that uh, he would uh, lay under the hammock and have them lay in the mesh hammock and have them uh, go number two on top of him so <laughs> So, yeah, he was into some weird stuff. Can't wait for that documentary to drop this week. I'll definitely be talking about it next week. Um, I hope they have protection. Yeah. And uh, I think that kind of wraps up Netflix and brings us to Disney Plus and one of the shows Tristan and I are, are wanting to talk about. I know he has thoughts. I feel like his thoughts are a lot stronger than mine. And that is uh, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, the next entry into the MCU about uh jennifer's son that's not right walters jennifer walters there we go jennifer walters who uh become is uh bruce banner's cousin and becomes she hulk and uh if you watch the show they get into an accident together and a little bit of his blood gets into her and gives her her abilities it's not really a spoiler it happens in the first like five minutes i do like they took some creative different choices with this show compared to the other mcu with like fourth wall breaking and stuff but it's a show like if you've seen the mcu you know what you're getting it's is it is it great no it's not is it the worst thing i'll ever watch in my life it's not but like would i tell anyone to watch this who doesn't love the mcu i wouldn't so uh tristan kind of what are your i want to hear you rant about She-Hulk, so uh, I'll let you have the floor. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a big... I don't have a rant necessarily, but I do think this episode is kind of a mess. I'll start off and say that I think the comedy worked 
really well for me. I think Tatiana Maslany's timing is really good. The post credit scene is very funny, and Captain America I think a lot fun. of her. Com- <laughs> Excuse me, uh, I'm talking joke right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was trying to interrupt you right, right at the right time. You know, I was trying to time the interruption. You know, you can't really time it when you're doing it over digital, though. It's hard to it's hard to talk over somebody when you're only on the camera. You know, yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, I thought uh, the comedy was pretty good, uh, and I like Tatiana Maslany. I think this episode does have some weird pacing problems. I think it feels like we were right about to start the story, and then they were like, oh, hold on, we got to do the origin story first. And I understand that was like a meta joke of like, oh, wait, you guys got to get to the origin story first. But like, did we, though? (laughs) I would have been okay with just having an episode of She-Hulk being She-Hulk, and then maybe the meta joke is, she looks in the camera and goes, don't worry, we'll get to the origin story in a flashback episode or something like that. And you say, oh, okay, we'll get to that. And I, fe- I felt like this felt a little bit unconfident where it felt like they had to really go through the details of her origin story and make sure we knew where her powers came from. And at, sometimes at the cost of the character, because I didn't really feel like we got to know Jennifer Walters as a character in this pilot. We didn't get to know what she wants to do or what she wants to be. So I think there's a little bit of a rough getting to go here, which is my, which is my biggest problem with this. I think it's just a bit of a bumpy start to what I think is going to be a really promising full series. Like once she gets to her actual like narrative of doing legal stuff with superheroes or whatever her arc is going to be, I think that's going to be better than this kind of like necessary bump to get all of this exposition out so that we know what her origin is. And I don't know why we needed all of this, but the origin is not that complicated. Like she could have just had the blood transfused to her and then that's it you know they could have literally had done the flashback cut to the blood dropping into her her being like freaking out and running away and then summed up the rest of the episode in two lines between her and one of her friends and i think the opening uh monologue is really significant to what her arc and what her theme is going to be overall because she has this this monologue towards the camera that is her closing argument for the case but it's essentially the opening argument for what she hulk is going to be right it's if you have power are you responsible to use that power to the best of your ability is it enough to just not act outwardly evil do you have to actually act outwardly good to make up for the outward evil you know and Mm -hmm. i think that is going to be her arc here of she doesn't want to be a superhero. She wants to be a, a lawyer. She wants the law to be her focus. And she even tells it to Bruce saying, look, I'm no superhero. I'm a lawyer. And Bruce is trying to say, like, look, no matter what you're going to do, you are a superhero. You have these powers no matter what. Now that you have the powers, you got to use them for something, you know. And I think her arc is going to be figuring out how she can be both, how she can use her powers to maximize her proficiency at being a lawyer and use her knowledge of the law to maximize her ability as a hero. And I think you're going to see your kind of pendulum swinging back and forth between I'm a lawyer, I'm a hero, I'm a lawyer, I'm a hero, trying to find that middle ground. And I think ultimately her arc is going to be realizing that I have these powers and if I have them, I have to use them. Because if I'm not using them, I'm kind of reinforcing the system that I'm not having, you know, and that kind of falls into her little, uh, her kind of speech about uh, the men that she works around and how that makes her live in fear and live in anger. And how she uses that anger to kind of fuel her abilities. And I think when you look at like a system that she lives in, a very sexist system, very, especially like the corporate world, that's an extremely like classically sexist world to live in. And I think her metaphor at the beginning calls into a question that too. Like it's not enough to just 
say, look, I'm not sexist. See, I'm nice to, I'm nice to She-Hulk. <laughs> you have to actually like be actively working to help that system get better. And I think that's going to be part of her arc too, is she can't just sit on the sidelines. She has to work as a lawyer and a superhero to better the system for both women and heroes all at once. You know, I think that's going to be her, her journey here throughout the show. So I think it's a, a messy, messy start to what I really do have a lot of hope yeah. for as a show. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think the first episode was kind of clunky because they felt like they had to give us all of this information that we didn't really need. Like, I yeah. feel like I could just assume everything else that happened, especially when the whole episode was her getting her powers and then just, like, automatically being great with them. Like, I was like, do we really need a whole episode that's like, oh, she's already great with her powers already automatically. I'm like, I mean, I understand because the whole thing with Bruce Banner was he was bad at controlling his emotions before he became the Hulk, so I don't really, I don't, like, there's people online that are mad about, oh, why does she have control of her powers already? It's because she didn't have the same hang-ups that Bruce did, but also, I didn't need a whole episode dedicated to it either. Yeah, uh, and I do think people online have been, like, kind of dunking on her, uh, her speech and saying it's kind of, like, out of place and corny, and it did it's, it is kind of like superficial, but I think it's superficial because of like it's it's in an episode that doesn't really give us time to explore the character. You know, like if we'd had an episode before this of seeing her in the workplace experiencing that kind of thing, and then it came up here, I think it would have paid off a bit better. I've heard from some uh, people, reliable people, that uh, there may have been some moving around of scenes in these episodes and that some of these Bruce Banner origin story scenes were at one point later in the show but were moved to the pilot or to the first episode here because they wanted to get like the origin story and the cameo out right at the beginning to kind of hook people in. So I wonder if some of that stuff is residual from where it would have been later in the episode, which she's had a bit more time at in her normal life. She's had a bit more time kind of experimenting with the powers and now she's mastering them. I think that might've been something that was lost in the cutting room floor because they moved some stuff around. Maybe that makes sense. I get that. Anything else we really need to say about She-Hulk? I mean, it's kind nope, of... Nope, a... uh, looking forward to where they go with it next. Yeah. Uh, just a quick half an hour little episode. So, uh, And it's very disconnected from the rest of the MCU. So I think if you are kind of lost in the multiversal plot line, you're like, what's going on with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man? I'm not following any of that stuff at all. You don't have to follow that to watch this, at least so far. It's yeah. very much... Like, you got to know what the Hulk is. And the Hulk is a very easy character to understand. You know, he when he gets angry, he gets big and green and smashes stuff. Uh, that's pretty much the, the most you got to know about the Marvel Universe so far to follow this, at least as they're getting started here. Yeah, and I would also say, like, if you've checked out MCU stuff before and you're like, this isn't for me, the show ain't going to change your opinion. The show is going to, you're just going to be like all more of the same thing that isn't for me. But if Yeah, for me not- it feels like a bit of a, just enough of a difference where it's like, this is much more of a gr- Earth comedy in a way. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a feeling from the trailer and everything else and from what I've heard of like the first four episodes that it's going to be very much a comedy tone yeah. and not so much about like the saving the multiverse. So if you're kind of worn out and tired of the epic scale, epic scale of the Marvel stuff and you just want to see like a fun little comedy show with a superhero in it, this is a, definitely a change of pace. So I think if you checked out on that side, it's a, one that I would recommend. All right. Um, let me see. We got some... Disney Plus information that dropped today, I believe September 8th, uh, we're going to have 
Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi Return is going to be dropping, which is kind of the behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of Obi-Wan. Uh, they released that in a horribly written tweet that mentioned nothing about it being a documentary. Um, you, they, There was an image that went along with it, and if you clicked on the image, you could see then that it was a documentary. But Disney Plus's tweet was basically like, hey, September 8th, we're dropping Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi Returns. Uh, and everyone, all of the replies were like, oh, I thought this was season two. I thought this was the season two announcement, which obviously it wouldn't be because if you've been following the news, because it would have been clear that the season two hasn't been filmed yet if they're ever making one. But I don't know. I just thought it was a horribly worded tweet. Um, we're also getting Thor Love and Thunder and the Thor Love and Thunder behind the scenes documentary are dropping September 8th as well. So be on the lookout for those if you're interested in those. Yeah, I, I got bamboozled by that tweet, Joe. I definitely saw it, and I was like, "Oh, they filmed some kind of like surprise special episode or something." You know, that's yeah. what I, that's my mind went to. I was like, "Oh, they did some shock drop thing. They're gonna pull out a an Obi Wan Kenobi like special finale with Ewan McGregor." And then I clicked on the tweet, and I was like, "Oh, it's just a different name for their yeah. declassified behind the scenes type of thing that they do for every single thing they they make on Disney Plus." Also. Yeah. <laughs> Another news, just for anyone that's interested, Blackish Season 8 is dropping on Disney Plus as well this week. Um, and I believe uh, that is going to move us to Paramount. Paramount Plus. Yeah. You watched I've got a Paramount call out this week. Orphan, the, uh, the first kill. Uh, a prequel to Orphan. I don't know exactly how to talk about this without spoiling Orphan. So I'm going to talk as vaguely as I can about the original Orphan, but it's been like 15 years since the first Orphan came out. Uh, but the first Orphan is about a young girl. She's about like 10 years old or so, and she's an orphan, and her, uh, these parents adopt her, but she's acting very strange and kind of not like you'd expect a child to necessarily to act when she's in a new home. You know, she's very familiar and very weird with the parents, and uh, they uncover that this this child isn't exactly who she seems to be, you know, and that there's a lot. Joe, what is your verdict? And should I spoil the ending of Orphan to talk I about I would this say one? don't spoil it. I know the <laughs> ending. So I've seen just because being around in pop culture, I know the ending. And I feel like probably people can infer it based on how you describe things if they didn't already know. But it's ultimately what you're saying is if you're a fan of Orphan and you're a fan of kind of, horror movies because you know we've talked a little bit they said it's a little campy orphan first kill yeah so, I, for me i think it's the fun of it is that this woman who was a young girl at the time of orphan who played a 10 year old is now even though it's a prequel she is playing the same character uh younger you know and so now you have a 20 something year old girl playing like a an eight year old and they do a lot of really fun goofy camera tricks like if you've seen stuff on Twitter where a lot of the actors stand on these really, really tall platform shoes and she's on like normal flats. So you get right, the right camera angle and she'll look like she's short, like a kid. Mm -hmm. And there's some really cool, like POV shots where she's looking up at like a table and you're in the camera, the camera's like looking up kind of like a little kid would be. So a lot of the fun of this was seeing the goofiness as they go along of how they keep trying to convince you that this 20 year old is in fact a, a, a nine year old, <laughs> like a body of a nine-year-old uh so it's very it's very fun to watch and uh she the the story of this one is that the the orphan is adapted by her previous family so this is a family 
prior to the one from the original orphan. And it's a very similar setup where the family doesn't know that uh, they know something's off, but they're not sure what it is. And the fun of this is that you as the audience, you know what's off. You're in on the joke this time from frame one. So you're able to kind of like play along with uh, the killer, play along with the orphan and have fun with that. And I think that really makes this a lot of fun. And for me, I think it's a better movie than the first orphan. It doesn't have that shocking twist that orphan is kind of known for in pop culture it does have a good twist in the middle like a really fun reveal that pulled it out from under me a bit on what i was watching but it reminds me of malignant where it kind of just like is a big tribute to these kind of movies it's set in the early 2000s so they really lean into like the early 2000s aesthetic with the clothing and the set design and the technology and the music so it feels like an early 2000s horror movie in all the fun ways and yeah, if you just want to see, with no context of Orphan, a fun movie where they, in almost a satirical way of like how much they want to bring back the old actors to play these roles again in movies now, it feels like the big trend. And this feels like they're almost like taking the piss out of that by bringing her back and having her play like a nine-year-old in this movie and not really addressing the fact that <laughs> it's like a fully grown adult playing this child. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a fun watch. Def- a lot more fun if you've seen and enjoyed the original Orphan, but I genuinely do think you might have a lot of fun with this if you haven't seen Orphan and you just want to see a really fun, campy, early 2000s throwback horror movie. But I do think you probably would want to look up the twist ending of Orphan before you do. Alright, yeah, I'll definitely be checking this out. Um, I think that kind of wraps us up on Paramount Plus and leaves us to Peacock. I know there's one quick thing you wanted to mention about something leaving Peacock. I wanted to mention something about Peacock. And that was that Texas Chainsaw. Oh, I put that... I, you know what? I Texas Chainsaw is actually on Netflix, but I'll transition to that really quick <laughs> if you want. Because that was my last chance pick for the week. I know we, were, we like to end the episode with our last chance uh, picks of the week, so we can push mine to the end if you want. Right, or I can go can for it now. No, we can wait. Um, so I think that brings us to our final... Um, streaming service for the week and that is HBO Max because we kind of wanted to talk about House of the Dragon last and because of that uh, let's kick off with the thing I was most hyped about for HBO yeah, Max so you go first week. Joe because I have a lot to I'm going to be like long winded this episode I think so HBO Max uh, dropped episode 2 of Hard Knocks training camp with the Detroit Lions and as a massive Detroit Lions fan it just makes me even more hyped for this season uh, a lot of great moments, uh, especially saw guys like our probably our new second-string quarterback who was third-string on the depth chart, but based on performance in preseason, David Blau. I believe that was episode two. Yes, that was episode two. Maybe not. I don't know. I, the, I just realized I don't remember what was in episode one and episode two, but it was a good episode. Tristan, you may have better recollection of what was in episode two, so I'll let you talk about it and maybe jog my memory a bit. I have a weird confession to say that uh, I did not watch episode two of Hard Knocks, uh, but I, in fact, did go ahead and fill myself in on an entire previous season oh, <laughs> of, about, a, about a different team what? because I was going through the backlog and I saw that they had one about the uh, Los Angeles Rams and Los Angeles Chargers. Right at the beginning of 2020, 
I was like, oh, interesting. I want to see like how they started off, you know, the beginning of the beginning of COVID and all of that stuff. So I checked out that season and I really, really uh, got a lot out of it. It was pretty interesting. Of course, it was. Uh, I looked it up because I wanted because I didn't know that there was like this whole recruiting thing about like how the teams get uh, picked or not. So I looked up and saw that the Rams and Chargers had had volunteered. Uh, to be featured, and it was the first time that two teams uh, were uh, are the the focus of Hard Knocks. So I checked out that season. You can find a, a bunch of these episodes literally on on like YouTube. But there's old episodes on HBO. There's there's a lot like scattered around. It's not one of those things where I was able to find every episode of every season on one platform. But if you look around, you can find them kind of all over the place. Uh, but it was really interesting because they get kind of like a couple episodes they get kind of started on the season and then they get the announcement that the NFL is canceling preseason games because of COVID. So it gets kind of like into how are they training now when they can't really have like preseason games. So I thought that was really a fascinating look into that era and a time that is kind of past, not totally past us, I guess, but like it's past us enough. We're not in that like primary time where it's like what is happening era of, of the, of the health stuff. So it was it was interesting to look back at that moment and to see it through the lens of this NFL team. So that's one season I look I went back and randomly watched instead of watching what I was supposed to watch this week. All right, yeah, I get that. So I just did a quick refresher myself, and uh, we saw some great moments with linebackers. Uh, basically, the linebacker core last season for the Lions was garbage, and a sixth round rookie has been the one that's been looking like our best linebacker at all training camp. And so we saw our linebacker coach kind of yelling at our entire line cap. Uh, backer core basically like you guys are experienced vets and you're letting some rookie come in and here and steal your job uh, we also saw a wide receiver uh whose dad was mr universe back in the day and uh kind of the relationship with his dad and that was kind of a fun uh, moment i definitely think episode two is worth checking out we got episode three dropping uh this tuesday august 23rd at 10 p.m and i will be watching that excitedly uh, good to see our game against the Colts that happened on Saturday. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm ex- uh, excited for Hard Knocks Episode 3, like I said. If you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of docu-series, it's 100% worth checking out. And I think you wanted to uh, talk about the uh, Nathan Fielder uh, finale. Of, uh, yeah, we got the last episode of the rehearsal. It kind of brought things very full circle and to me gave me a little bit of an answer about what Nathan Fielder's kind of core theme and core question of the show was. Uh, so I definitely was satisfied by this finale. And I'm interested to see if they come out and say, like, how much of this was affected by COVID, because it definitely seems like they had one direction for the show and then it totally changed. And they couldn't obviously do exactly what they were planning to do because of the limitations of production. So I'm curious to when they get into season two, because the show did get picked up for. A season two one of the things that's surviving the the guillotine outside of hbo max headquarters going out there just cutting off the heads of of, of uh shows out there sometimes taking them right off of the platform you don't even know where they went you know they're saying what show you know we didn't have one but this is one of the shows that made the cut <laughs> thankfully uh because i like this a lot and i think it had a really strong following because i did see a lot of engagement with it online so i hope that this comes back bigger than ever in season two but I'm very curious to see how it goes forward because I don't know how long they can maintain the exact gimmick of this. 
and this finale did seem to kind of answer the question to me that this is much more about Nathan Fielder getting over his own individual social anxieties and like accepting the the weight of the results of his own actions, you know, what how what he does affects people even if he doesn't necessarily know it. So I think that's a really good uh, way to wrap things up. So I don't know where they're going to go from here afterwards unless they just do higher scale rehearsals and get back into the core premise of what the show was going to be before COVID shook them up a bit. Yeah, I definitely get that. And uh, I wanted to highlight some of that with HBO Max is a lot of the shows that they collaborated with other people on that were supposedly like HBO Max originals. They just pulled off the service and Cartoon, it was Cartoon Network mainly of the one collaboration that they had that is like all of the things they collaborated with Cartoon Network essentially have been pulled off HBO Max. And I see like a lot of the creators and stuff, like one of the guys, one of the shows, I didn't even hear about it until this whole debacle. It was the show Infinity Train about this girl who was a 13-year-old computer programmer who found herself locked on this train with her basically robot companion. And all the 13 episodes of the show were just about her and her robot companion going through this train. That's why it's called Infinity Train, because they're like, we can make as many episodes as we want about her being stuck on this train. But anyways, he was like, yeah, I created the show for my kids so my kids could grow up watching it. And now, like, the only way they'll ever be able to watch it is pirating. And it just kind of makes you sad, this whole thing of people like, oh, why do you buy DVDs? Why do you buy Blu-rays when it's all it's on streaming? It's like, look, it may not always be on streaming, apparently. And so Yeah, I mean, I have a whole stack of movies behind me. And stuff like this definitely reinforces that I why I buy this kind of stuff, you know. And, of course, it... Is on streaming now, but this shows that in an instant it could not only be not streaming, but unavailable entirely, you know, and I've seen plenty of movies that I go through and I see it on Letterboxd and I say, oh, that looks cool. I'll check that one out and I look and it's nowhere to be found, you know, and uh, I don't want to be stuck at a point where I'm having to buy an out-of-print movie because I don't know any other way to watch the movie I want to watch or it's like I'm sitting here with my friends and we're like, oh, let's watch, you know, Spider-Man. We haven't watched that in forever. And then all of a sudden we're digging through 100 streaming platforms and we can't find it anywhere because all of a sudden Spider-Man is locked up on Sony's individual platform that you got to pay $12.99 now to join. And we're sitting there with our credit card putting out to buy Spider-Man. And look, I got it sitting right here. I can just pull out the Blu-ray and play it, you know? So yeah, buy your physical media and you never own something digital. Even if they tell you that you do, you don't own it. So make sure you own something. If you really want it, and you really want to keep it forever is something that you know you're going to watch it's not it's not that expensive to buy the blu-ray of most movies you know you can buy a blu-ray for very very cheap a dvd for even cheaper you know like apple's this big conglomerate company that's probably never going to go out of business especially in our lifetimes but say you buy a movie on or you know apple move movies you think it's yours and then two, three, four years later, something happens with Apple and they're like, hey, we're no longer a company. All those movies you own are just gone forever. You don't own them. You'd even say yeah, and you would have said the same thing about Warner Brothers. Oh, Warner Brothers is too big to fail to be to be gone. And now it's like gotten eaten up by this conglomerate of things. Who knows Apple someday won't get bought out by Disney or something. And then all your Apple products are pushed into the Disney vault. All right, and uh, is there anything else you want to talk about Harley Quinn on HBO Max? I wanted to mention Harley Quinn because we have been talking about animation getting the axe. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to catch up on Harley Quinn this week. I haven't quite caught up. Caught up. I haven't quite caught up, Joe. Yeah. But I haven't quite gotten there yet. 
but I'm trying to get through that just in case. You know, you never know between DC and, and and Discovery as a whole. It feels like they can't put out one fight without the other one bursting into flames behind them. You know. <laughs> yeah. I really love season one and two. Haven't watched any of season three yet, but I'm definitely excited. Yeah, I'm working my way through season two, and if you haven't uh, seen this or heard of it, it's an animated show, uh, adult comedy following Harley Quinn. It's not part of any animated universe. I not necessarily. It's not connected to the Batman animated show or the DCEU or the Batman uh, Matt Reeves universe or the Joker universe or any of the other universes I got going on. It's totally its own its own thing. Kaylee Cuoco uh, from Big Bang Theory voices Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy is a main character. Kite Man is a pretty main character. And it's about kind of these uh, B-list supposed villains of DC that she kind of runs into. It's kind of a, it's a very fun adventure, and it's a, another kind of deep cut. So if you like maybe the Marvel shows and you haven't switched over to HBO Max and checked out this Harley Quinn show, I highly recommend it. It's much more mature and adult, but very funny, very action-packed, and tons of great DC cameos and characters and crossovers and jokes. I can't wait to get into season three because I know they do some kind of uh, I'm sure they do with some kind of meta jokes. I know they do a joke about Catwoman and Batman and whether how intimate they might be, how intimate they might be, which was a big uh, discussion among DC comic writers and <laughs> DC comic directors at one point last year about the intimacy level of Catman and Batwoman. That was a pretty uh, funny joke in, in Harley Quinn. So I definitely recommend checking out this this show for sure. All right, and one last thing I wanted to mention is Abbott Elementary has dropped on HBO Max. Uh, if you haven't watched that show, it's a, basically a workplace sitcom, very similar to like The Office or Parks and Rec or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it was on ABC, set obviously at an elementary school, and uh, definitely like just kind of a fun, lighthearted workplace comedy. If you're a fan of Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I don't think it's the same creators, but if you're a fan of those shows, it's very similar to those, and definitely could be a new show to add into your rotation Just i've heard great things about that so i definitely want to check that one out yeah my girlfriend turned me on to it and uh it's a pretty solid show definitely uh recommend it if you like those other shows and uh i think that finally probably brings us to our biggest drop of the week and that is uh the show uh sesame street uh everyone watched it growing up and we figured we'd talk about it here no i'm kidding it's house of the dragon Sesame oh. Street actually got deleted, not dropped. You know, they cut some Sesame Street episodes off of I, HBO Max. I, I, typo on my end. That's my. Switched it around there, Joe, a little bit. Anyway, House of the Dragon, prequel to uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, I feel like if you've seen Game of Thrones, this show is better for it. But I think you can watch it without watching Game of Thrones and not be completely lost. It's hard to tell though, as someone who's seen all of Game of Thrones multiple times. And has like built-in knowledge. I don't know how much of it, like how much you'll be lost if you haven't seen Game of Thrones. But uh, based on the opening, it's at 107. It's well, 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen is born. So it's basically set around 190, 200 years before um, season one, episode one of Game of Thrones. And basically, you're kind of following House Targaryen and kind of the turmoil in uh that uh house and i think it was a very solid episode in my opinion if this had been a flashback in a random season of game of thrones like daenerys targaryen's like oh let me tell you about house targaryen and you just flash back and saw this episode i didn't wouldn't have felt like it was a downgrade in quality i felt like it was on par quality especially those early seasons of game of thrones but 
I think where Game of Thrones excelled was like the long form storytelling and stuff building up over time. So we'll see how it does there. Uh, but Tristan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, have a lot of love for Game of Thrones and a lot of history with Game of Thrones. So it's hard to come into this with a blind eye. And it brings me back to when I first watched the Game of Thrones premiere, you know, and I was coming in blind. And I know when I first watched it, I gave up on the show pretty quickly because I thought, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't understand, like, how they're all connecting to each other and what that is telling to a larger story. So I, I give up on the show. I know it's a claim, but I don't really understand what's happening here. And I came back to it eventually and uh, licked my wounds and realized I was very, very wrong in my first assessment. But uh, it took me a second to get into that original series. So I'm curious to see how these characters grow and kind of who becomes the fan favorites or the most focused of the of the characters here because this pilot does a good job here of focusing in on like essentially two or three characters and really making sure you get to know these couple of characters, you know, because even that first episode of Game of Thrones is very sprawling. You know, you start off in Winterfell north of the wall even and then you go down to Winterfell and you go down to King's Landing and all of a sudden you're in Essos and you have a lot to get your mind around between just the core cast of that original Game of Thrones show. And so far, this feels much more focused. This entire episode never leaves King's Landing. You know, you're in the capital the entire time here. And I think that sets it apart from Game of Thrones and allows it to really take its time. You mentioned that Game of Thrones is able to shine in that long form storytelling. And I think that they knew it here because they knew not to get started with too much too quickly. They knew to say, okay, here's your couple Targaryens. And we're going to make sure you know who these people are. You're going to make sure that you know them distinctly from Game of Thrones characters. You're going to make sure that you know what their kind of role is in this politics here before we kind of pull out the rug and eventually have all of the, the action really uh, kind of get going here. So, yeah, I thought it was a great, great return to the world. And I was so happy to be back. There's that opening shot where the uh, after the prologue, which I thought was really effective, there's the opening shot of the dragon flying in over King's Landing and it's kind of awe-inspiring. You're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're back. This is Westeros. We're back in King's Landing. It's not burnt to the ground anymore. You know, it's back kind of at the, at the prime of King's Landing. So it was very cool to see that. Uh, I will say I have one negative, and it could be something that's gone forever and I don't have to worry about it, or it could be a continuing thing, is I like the disconnectedness of it from Game of Thrones, where obviously it's based on a book, a book I haven't read. So... Um, it can do whatever. I believe it's based on a book. Am I? Oh, yeah. It's right there, by the book. book I haven't read. So in my opinion, this show can go wherever it wants to go. Uh, but the only problem I didn't like is where uh, one of the main characters talked about uh, how his ancestor had a vision, and the vision was basically the ending of Game of Thrones. And I'm like, if this whole show is about setting up the ending of Game of Thrones, which was not good, then every time they reference it, I'm going to be like just thinking about the crappiness, and I don't know why you'd want to make a show doing the talking completely referencing the one thing about Game of Thrones no fan of it likes. And so, but if they never reference it again and it was just kind of like a one off mention, then I'm cool. But if this is kind of what this show is about, then I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay fully on board. I'm going to help you through that a little bit, Joe, because I did have some really strong reactions to that as well. As someone who's read, been so invested in the lore of these books, like I've read Fire of Blood, I've read World of Lightning and Fire. Those are not even like narrative books. Like this is not based off of like a narratively driven oh, book. Yeah. This is based off of like a historical 
piece of Westeros, <laughs> like so Fire the, and Blood. So it's Fire and like Blood is really similar, simil, whatever the J.R.R. Tolkien is. The yeah, Cimmerillion-esque, you know, and it's as if it's written within the world of Westeros too. So the author of Fire and Blood is a meister who is essentially recording the history of Westeros and the Targaryens. So you're getting kind of this filtered history that is not necessarily the true history, not necessarily exactly what happened, but you're having to kind of read from this third layer of like, okay, I'm getting this Meister's like secondhand account of what happened, what really happened, you know? And there's even points where it's like, okay, here's the Meister's take, here's the house fool's take, here's the wife's take. And it's like the same event told from like three, four different perspectives. And it's up to you as a reader to kind of figure out what actually really happened. And it seems like this show is, from what the writers are saying, what Martin is saying, this show is going to try and walk that line and say, okay, here's really what happened, but we're not necessarily going to... Uh, there's still some elements of mystery here. And I think some of what that reveal was at the end about the Song of Ice and Fire, the prophecy, adds to that level of mystery because it's like something that I thought I knew about the lore is no longer that like <laughs> there's nothing in the history of the books that talks about Targaryens having this foreknowledge through generations and generations passing it down king to king this is all new information and I'm really curious to see how that feeds into history and what this does for the overall story of of a song of ice and fire because like if the Targaryens knew that the wall at the that the white walkers are the ultimate threat right why did the wall fall into decay? You know, why were the generations and generations of the wall not being manned, not being, you know, funded? Because when you come into Game of Thrones, the wall is not like an honorable place. It's not like a highly manned, highly funded place. And you'd think that if we just came off of generations of rule by these people who secretly knew that the death of the world hides beyond that wall, you'd think that they'd be sending all their troops, all their money, all their dragons down to that wall to make sure that thing does not fall, right? Yeah. So... And these are questions that I think the writers are asking intentionally. Like, this is the stuff that they want us to be wondering, like, okay, how does this knowledge actually affect this whole Targaryen lineage? I'm really curious to see how that all plays out. And the way I want to hook you into it, Joe, is doing a Star Wars comparison here, because this is very Star Wars, the fact that we're going to this prequel era. I said a couple of generations prior to the one we knew, and this is kind of the height of the empire right when we saw the prequels in star wars it was the jedi are you know at the peak of their power everything seems good it's all about peace but we know in reality that the empire is kind of planning this the cd underthrow of the jedi the whole time and we join westeros at a similar point here they're at targaryen rule there's been peace for decades now they haven't really seen any war but we see these kind of feuding problems within the ranks here matt smith's character uh damon is kind of like an Anakin-esque character. He's this arrogant, hot-headed, you know, he's very ready for battle, but yet he lives in a time of peace, so he hasn't really had the actual bloodshed of fighting. So he's kind of arrogant. He's always trying to fight people. He's, you know, flexing his rank a lot. And I'm really curious to see how his arc plays out as he goes along. And I wonder if this prophecy here at the end is going to play in similar to star wars where there was that chosen one prophecy that kind of layers the whole narrative and palpatine knew about it the whole time right and it was kind of manipulating plans to make this happen i wonder if they're going to have Aegon the conqueror uh have placed back these plans decades earlier and it's kind of like setting the seeds 
knowing what's coming and kind of making it work out. And I think a, a cool Star Wars comparison could be like we, the, the prequels came out and people were not happy, right? People would say, oh, this is not my Star Wars. This is bad. I hate it. And then the Clone Wars comes through and says, okay, let's kind of like figure this out. Let's recontextualize this. Let's figure out ways to make this work. Is it possible, Joe, that we could be one back over? Is it possible that HBO Max pulls some move so good with this prophecy, with this character, that it all kind of circles around and we say, you know what? They were able to do it. They saved Game of Thrones. Those last couple of seasons, they were rough. But look at this. House of Dragon came through and retconned it back into good. Yeah, I think you. if you did something where everything's set up, and especially with like the whole like similar time travel angle, like spoiler alert for game of thrones i guess but like if what if brand cameos and house of the dragon and we see him set something up do something put something into place and they make it clear how this sets up something that eventually leads to brand being king and what if what if this is the long 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 con the long plan is brand was actually the one who created the prophecy because he wanted he saw how the Targaryens had to be strong in this whole thing and the other, and all of Westeros was just basically, oh, basically the entire history of Westeros was Bran playing chess with people to eventually win the king. I'm excited to go back and look at this prophecy over again because I want to get into like the verbiage of it and, and the details of it because I wonder if they're trying to lead us on here between the first scene and the last scene of this episode because the first scene in that prologue, we have this moment where a woman is set to be taking the throne and then she is overstepped by a man and the man takes the role essentially right and i wonder if they're trying to set us up for this prophecy that uh well and everybody that we know read as being about john snow or about stannis that they're they're the chosen ones that john snow is going to be the chosen one and then of course uh aria ends up being the one who kind of ends up holding off the night king in the end right she uses that dagger because the dagger that he shows her in the final scene is the same dagger that Arya later in 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 lore will use to kill the night king oh, okay i didn't catch that so that's and then i wonder if the tease here is like the prophecy was read as being about john but the entire time it was about Arya, and they're setting that up because the the throne was going to go to a woman but then it was stepped over to being given to this man and i wonder if they're trying to say oh look even all the way back in ancient history we've had these times even in prophecies where women were overstepped in, in favor of men because they just assumed that the man was the chosen one and not the woman and then because aria aria is a chosen one i think <laughs> that's the curious part because none of this prophecy stuff pays off that well like you said it doesn't pay off that well in a game of thrones so it's a big risk to take also- this on here who was the one character that they talked about through, I think, like two or three scenes, or maybe it was like one or two scenes of Nymeria, and what was Arya's wolf's name? Nymeria. Nymeria. Named off of the character that they were talking about, but... Yeah, I can't wait till we get into more of the dragon stuff, because there's... Like, it's... There's a lot of dragon stuff coming up here. Like, the Dance of Dragons is coming up with some of these characters. These are very young versions of characters who are destined for very great things. <laughs> and... Awesome. I mean, you obviously know like the quote-unquote like history or like the canon of it all but what if it's a lot more simpler than we're making it and it's like oh this legend was passed down targaryen king to targaryen king and he passed it to his daughter but maybe daemon usurps the throne and becomes king 
And because of that, she never relays the message to him and the whole prophecy to him. And so that's where it gets lost. And you're like, well, that fucker right there screwed everything up. Because if they he had just let natural order take place and he never became king, then she would have passed it to her kid and they would have been passed on and everything would have been good. But this fucking douchebag decided to be king and usurp the throne. Granted, it probably, I mean, granted, butterfly effect, uh, Robert... Baratheon never would have been born, so he would have never been able to usurp the throne and take over the prophecy anyways, or uh, destroy the lineage of the prophecy anyways, but... I'm really excited for this. it's a bad strategy to do it that way and keep that secret, knowing, hey, everyone in the world wants my job and will try to kill me to get it, so I'm going to keep this secret and not let anyone know the super important information. I'm really excited for this, but it is going to be difficult when you know the beats of what happens... Yeah. You know, because it's almost like you've read a history book with a chapter about Abraham Lincoln, and now you're going to see the movie Lincoln. Yeah. You know, because like you've seen the you've seen the notes about Lincoln, but now you're getting like the details of, of Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this whole episode is like a couple of sentences in Fire and Blood, and they managed to make it into like an hour long of an episode that has a really compelling drama. You know, that tournament scene and the birth scene is like a sentence in Fire and Blood, and they, they were able to take that sentence and adapt it into this really compelling drama. So it's almost like the opposite of when they were adapting A Song of Ice and Fire into Game of Thrones, where they said, okay, we have this sprawling narrative with all this compelling you know, uh, dialogue and all these developed characters. How do we condense that into a show? And this is almost the opposite, where it's like, okay, we have a couple of, like, we have a chapter in a book to go off of. How are we going to make that into a whole entire series so it's, it's a really interesting struggle and i know george martin is involved in the in the writing process of this series so i'm really curious to see how much change we get because this this prophecy is a big change so i'm curious how that plays out how big of how much of that is a focus of this narrative like is is her discovering the origin of that prophecy going to be a big thing is she going to be like oh i got to go figure out what's going on with this north of the wall stuff or is it just going to be this like background information that's kind of there to give a little bit of like mystical layer to the story that's going on i'm also really curious we're going to expand beyond king's landing right we have a couple of we have high towers that are going to be in this olivia cook has been cast in the show as a high tower uh she's going to be showing up in a couple of episodes or next episode who knows so yeah i'm curious as this as the scale gets wider how we handle all of this and there's also a time jump coming up, I have to imagine, because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. It's going to be interesting how, how they adapt some of this stuff, because a lot of stuff does happen to these people late in life. And they play pretty prominent roles in the kind of the turning points of the Targaryen rule. And even though we're at a point of hyper peace here, as the Fire and Blood book itself mentions, sometimes war is born in the most peaceful times. And this is one of those times and the opening scene mentions the only thing that can tear down the house of the dragon is itself and i think that's going to be what we're here to see even in the most peaceful moments human greed and human drama is going to be what tears down this this society so i <laughs> i'm excited to see that i guess it'll be an exciting watch i guess but i love westeros so i'm happy to be back yeah, do you think uh, this will kind of be like The Crown, but set in Westeros, where like each season or two it will be like a big, maybe like 10, 15 year time jump? I would enjoy that because they call it House of the Dragon, so, and there's so much history in Fire and Blood 
I could see them going all over the place, you know, and they're starting off at a key point here. But if they want to get to Dance with Dragons, they got to jump up a little bit. If they want to get to maybe even do an Aegon's Conquest, they could go back a little bit and do that. That would be really fun to see because there's so many key moments around like history of Westeros to see that are tied to the Targaryen house. So you could call it House of the Dragon and go all over the place in your lore and your history. Like, I almost think instead of doing, like, anthology style where you bounce around, I think it would be interesting if they just did, like, each seat, like, they do this season, which is all, like, one narrative thing, and then they skip 10, 15, 20 years and do another season of something, and you have some of the characters aged up with makeup, some of them recast, and then you keep doing that, and you could basically get up to, like you said, Aegon's Conquest and that and then the show ends with basically the Targaryens losing the throne and Robert Baratheon sitting on the Iron Throne as the show ends. Yeah, I definitely think we'll get a time jump because there's a lot to cover from these characters and they're still pretty young at this point so I could see them doing a time jump. Not this season, I wouldn't think because it seems like they're pretty set in this time frame for this season but I certainly could see them doing a jump forward. I, I was wondering if they would do like a parallel timeline thing and have there be like, here's the people as adults and here are them as children. But I think that could become very confusing. There's already enough yeah. characters to keep track of in Game of Thrones. But if you're like, oh, here's King's Landing, you know, at this year and here's King's Landing at this year, 20 years later, you got to remember now what's what. And yeah, that's too confusing. I can't wait, though. I'm so excited. This is it was so nice to be back. Like it was just a really comforting feeling to get back into Westeros and to see all these King's Guard and to see King's Landing again and to hear the music again. And yeah, I just cannot wait to see more from some of these characters. I think Matt Smith is really selling me as this asshole Damon. He really I was seeing him in that tournament and I was like, Oh, I hope this guy dies right now. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing full well he he does not die right now in this tournament. Yeah. So I was like I'm ready to see him get in some fights. I'm ready to see these characters uh, play out. Rihanna Targaryen, the main character, I think is interesting. She's very much an Arya Stark kind of parallel. She'd rather be flying around on her dragons and getting in sword fights than doing her cup-bearing and lady duties. Yeah, I got that vibe. That was the one thing, because the show kind of focused on her early on. I was like, I hope this isn't just like a Game of Thrones like remake, essentially, where it's like, oh, that's clearly... Arya Stark and then that's clearly this character and like she was like the only one that felt similar like you could say maybe Damon Damon is uh similar to Jamie, but I feel like their motivations and everything is so different that it didn't really feel like a one-to-one similar to how uh Rihanna and Arya were but if there's just the one I'm perfectly okay with that even if there are two or three but I was afraid like every character was going to be basically a copy of a previous character from Game of Thrones yeah, it's recognizably Game of Thrones with some of that stuff, like the characters and the aesthetic, and especially the music is all very Game of Thrones, but I appreciated that it was very noticeably different. Like, it wasn't the same exact characters in the same exact places, and like, I guess they were literally in the same place, but they weren't in, like, the same character place. They weren't going through the same things, and it's very cool to see even, like, the tiny differences. You know, King's Landing looks different than it did, than it does in the reign of Robert Baratheon. It looks a lot more alive and a lot more full, and it's under construction, you know, there's even a giant weirwood tree in the back King's Landing. We know at some point that gets cut down because we see in uh, Game of Thrones that that weirwood is cut down. It's only a stump. So I wonder if there'll be a point at in the show here where they cut that tree down for some reason or another. I was I was assuming that it was cut down because, like, there's this hatred for the old gods and 
in the new world and they were like you know we can't have that old guy stuff in our king's landing so they chopped it down i wonder if that's going to be a, a pretty prominent scene where they cut down the old tree same and then i also if i remember maybe it was just because it was so dark i wasn't getting a good look at it but it looked like there were a bunch of swords like along the path leading up to that and i'm like well that wasn't at game of thrones and i feel like that's gonna be a big moment when all those swords get taken out yeah it's very cool the throne room looks so exaggerated i think everything was kind of more exaggerated matt smith has these like wings on his head like these flash kind of style lightning bolt wing things (laughs) that are pretty cool i i really enjoy the fact that it's more elaborate similar to the star wars prequels where it was much more showy and i think when you're at a time of peace like this it makes a bit of sense that everything would be a bit more showy that their armor would be more so about showing off than actually like practically going to a, a war, yeah. you know? Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say about House of Dragon before we wrap up? No, I, I can't wait. I'm very excited to get more into this. And I know we ranted a lot for the first episode, but I have to imagine we're going to be talking even more for the later episodes as we get deeper and deeper into the plot and introduce more and more of the characters. So I really am excited for it. Talking about Game of Thrones is like the highlight of my life man that was like the the thing that got me into into this whole fandom discussion thing so it's it's cool all right well i'm happy for you and uh i know you said you wanted to mention a show leaving peacock but i think it's still on another streaming service and i was going to mention a movie i saw but then i discovered it's on another streaming service as well so it's not really leaving you can watch it on it's leaving hulu but it's still on netflix it was just going to mention girl next door a great comedy uh of its time early 2000s but you can go find it somewhere i imagine Anything i was going to mention Texas chainsaw uh the remake and Texas chainsaw the beginning okay. both are leaving netflix at the end of the month okay. uh they got kind of pillaged when it came out uh by critics but i watched them recently after watching the new Texas chainsaw reboot thing that came out and i had a pretty good time with it it's very dark and very gritty and very gross and very early 2000s but the highlight of it was the performance of the the actor who played the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket, he, he also plays a gross small-town sheriff in Texas Chainsaw, the, both of these movies, and he is easily the standout of this entire movie. If you can imagine the drill, the drill sergeant of uh, Full Metal Jacket, but he's a Texan like uh, sheriff of this ho-dunk town with, with Leatherface in it, <laughs> and he's as evil as Leatherface, uh, really entertaining uh, movies there and if you want to give them a second chance they're heading off on Netflix get your horror kick early you know it's almost Halloween time alright and I think that wraps up our show for this week and uh, you know if you got any questions any shows movies that are streaming you want us to talk about maybe something upcoming you're like hey I think this is something you'd be interested tweet us at movie change up and talk to the hand and I think without further ado goodbye